You are listening to an Elam Church Christchurch podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the message you are about to hear. And if you're ever in Christchurch, why don't you pop in and say hello? We'd love to connect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Very good. Well, it's an honor to be able to share with you today. My name is Pete. I'm the campus pastor here at Elam in Belfast. And uh, man, weren't those kids so cool? Oh, that was just fantastic. I was talking with Sarah, my wife, who was the grumpy innkeeper. And she's like, well, you know, like, what kind of, what's the vibe that you want? I'm thinking, like, well, the vibe that I want is for, like, a flock of sheep to come in and mostly just scatter across the room, you know, just with the intention to come up here, but then everyone just runs in all different directions. That would be fantastic. Well, for those of you who need a reminder, there's only one week till Christmas, which is exciting for all of the kids. And then for adults, we've got this internal list of things that we've got to do in our head that now we only have one week to do. I want to share with you a message today called, Who is in Control? Looking at the character of King Herod and the significance that that has in the, uh, in the Christmas story. We started off, we're in the middle of a, a Christmas series, well, towards the end of the Christmas series, you'd hope, but uh, we're in the series called Come, let us adore him, looking at the Christmas story. And we started off the series with this idea that some stories we're just way too close to. We're just too close to a whole lot of certain stories. They get told and they get retold in our society. We almost start living them out. We're we're that close to them. And when it comes to stories we're so close to, sometimes we miss different details. Uh, for example, Hansel and Gretel. You know that story? Um, when you, we, we get told it as kids, it's almost a part of kind of Western culture, these ideas of, the Western, uh, of Hansel and Gretel. But when you stop and think about it, it's really dark that a loving father would be convinced by a toxic wife to take his children into the forest and to leave them there with just a few stones to find their way home. I mean, that's, a, that's, a dark, that's a dark story, but we can be so close to it that we don't necessarily see it as such. You know, the story of the Bible and of the Christmas story is one of those stories. It's so firmly embedded in our culture that so often we just don't see it for what it is. It's firmly embedded. Every time you watch uh, one of the Avengers or a superhero or a a Superman or Batman on on the screen, what you're watching is the impact of a self-sacrificial leader going out to save the world. And we see Jesus in some of those characters. We don't necessarily know that Jesus is behind that story. And sometimes it can get a little twisted But Jesus and the impact of the Jesus story is in those things. It comes out when we teach our kids, whether you're a Christian or not, you've probably taught your kids that it's good to be kind and it's good to be humble, not actually understanding that Jesus defined the nature of God in those terms. And so we aspire to those things. We're often just so close to the story of Jesus that it makes us miss things. I noticed this week, uh, our son, who was one of the three kings um, that was up there, they, they did a, such a great job, but Joel wanted to be a king. He wanted to be a king, but specifically a king with a crown and a scepter. 
And uh, so he, he had caught on to the fact that somewhere in the story, there's a King Herod. He said, Dad, I want to be King Herod in the story. <laughs> I was like, my heart skipped a beat. Like, you what? You want to be? No, you can't. I said, with, you know, when I calmed down, I said, son, King Herod's a baddie. You don't want to be King Herod in the story. And I realized that a lot of the Christmas stories that we're told and we tell our kids, they don't include King Herod. And the story today didn't include King Herod. He's a dark character in the story. But he's put in there specifically so that we may ask ourselves, well, who's really in control? Who is really in control? Maybe you felt and you've asked that question before, whether out loud or just a feeling. At some point, your job security was uncertain. Maybe you're wondering about how you might pay your bills. And you've asked this question, well, I, I believe in God. I believe that he's provider, but really, who is in control? I didn't write this about anyone here, but maybe with the cost of living increasing and mortgage rates are increasing, you're wondering, is God really in control? Like I could trust him in the last season, but in the current season and the way our society is going, is God really in control. Maybe you've got kids or grandkids that you're praying for, and they're not making good choices, but you're wondering if God will actually move in their life or not. We ask this question, who is in control every time something bullies us into a corner, kind of bullies us into a corner, whether it's a person or an illness or a lack of resource or something else. We ask, is God really in control here? Can we trust Him to be more powerful than this thing in our lives which feels so powerful, rears its head as something that ultimately uh, claims to have ultimate control in our lives. And we think maybe, maybe God doesn't quite, quite measure up whether we think that cognitively or not. So I want to read with you uh, a story about King Herod to try and uh, persuade you and convince you that you can indeed trust God with all that's going on. And it's a, I'm going to try and be polite, actually. <laughs> but it is, a, it is quite a disturbing story. So, you know, yeah, I'll let Scripture speak for itself. It says this, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, we sometimes translate it as wise men. They were astrologers as well. If that messes with your theology, it does with mine. Um, Astrologers came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and came to worship him. Then King Herod heard of this. He was disturbed and with all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, he called the Magi together and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And upon coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The story goes on just a little longer. In verse 13, when it says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the dead of night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. You know, it's pretty easy to see why this part of the story doesn't make the nativity set at, uh, at Ballantyne's shopping, <laughs> shopping mall. If you go there, you see the windows, and you, you never see a King Herod in the windows. It's a bit of a downer, you know, to include in the storyline the lust for power of an evil king who is so committed to maintaining his firm grip on leadership that he orders the slaughter of so many innocents. And so you've got to ask the question, well, well, why even include it? Matthew only has 28 chapters in it, and an entire chapter is devoted to this story. So you've got to ask, well, with 30 years of events... Why would Matthew choose to devote an entire chapter to this one element? I believe that what God is telling us through this story is that earthly power can never stop the plans and the power of God. No matter how powerful it looks, no matter how powerful the king, no matter how much bank is in his uh, gold cupboard, (laughs) how much money is in there, You can never stop the plans and the power of God. And that's really good news. That's good news for us today. It was good news for them back then because although as a community we're unlikely to experience the level of tragedy that Bethlehem did that day, we all experience the daily temptation to feel that the world and the things in our world and the people in our world have ultimate power in our lives. Uh, my family and I, we moved to Christchurch coming up three years ago. And uh, when we discussed it with people and certain people, not everybody, but a few people, they would ask questions like, what if? What if questions? Like, you're moving your whole family down there. What if it doesn't all work out? What if this or, or what if that? And, and questions like, what if questions can be really troubling because you don't actually have the answers to them. But until you slow down and realize that if God had called us to here, that means he would provide everything we need in order to follow his calling. So the, the, the people in the, with the ultimate control in our story and in our individual lives and, and coming to Christchurch was not the bank and their willingness to lend money. 
It was not the moving company and whether they could get our stuff here on time and before COVID. We actually, incidentally, God moved so that we arrived here just four days, three or four days before the first lockdown. It was crazy. It was like, uh, yeah, really providential. But the people ultimately in control is not the house prices or the bank or the moving company or anything else, but the power is in God. Earthly power can never stop the power and the plans of God. You know, Herod, he was a self-serving individual with considerable power at his disposal. He had a track record of megalomania and brutality, and he was not afraid to use his power for his own selfish purposes. A bit of history for you on, um, on King Herod. Ethnically, he was an Arab. He was Arab. He was from a, a tribe south of the Holy Land. And uh, interestingly enough, this tribe had been conquered by Jewish forces about 140 years before um, Christ. And uh, when, the, when the forces conquered them, they forced everybody to convert. And uh, Herod's grandfather converted. And because maybe he was one of the first to convert, um, he was promoted to governor. And so, so while ethnically he was Arab, religiously he was Jewish, but only nominally Jewish. Jewish by name, so he might save his family. But culturally, um, Herod was a Greek. Greek culture had spread all throughout the known world at the time. They spoke Greek. They thought like Greek people, uh, particularly in upper echelons of society. Politically, Herod was actually a Roman as well. In all major conflicts, he used his power to side with Rome. And in fact, as a part of his um, contribution to Rome, I suppose, he rebuilt the town of Caesarea and named it after the king. He named it after Caesar. And so he knew how to play the game. He knew how to use and develop influence to use it to his own means. But try as he might to wield his considerable resources for his own ends. He tried and tries he might to eliminate a perceived threat to his power and to the throne. Try as he might to oppose God's purposes and the birth of Jesus Christ. Herod failed. He failed. And I kind of have it on my heart that I feel like someone needs to hear that today, that Herod failed. With all of the things at his disposal, he failed. With all the wealth, with all the power, with all the connections, he failed. The devil failed. You know, think about how, how, how powerless a, a, a newborn baby is. Newborn babies are, in my mind, some of the most powerless creatures we come in contact with regularly. It's, especially compared to the wealth and power of an, of an evil king. And yet God was able to protect his son. In verse 13, it says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child to his mother, and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. God was always one step ahead of Herod. Herod thought that he could compete in power with Almighty God, but he was wrong. You know, we often despair potentially at our own mistakes, and we feel like our own mistakes can inhibit the call of God, can place the call of God and the, the things of God 
less favorably, but our own mistakes can't do that. Plans and the purposes of God will always come about. We might often despair at somebody else's mistakes and think, oh, because of their mistakes and because of their actions, the things of God might be compromised, but that is simply not true. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So sometimes we relate to ourselves and we relate to God like he has left our lives because of the choices we have made. But God is described as a good father. He's a good father and he's wanting to give good gifts to his children. But but we can sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that government systems, that workplaces and the powers at be can get in the way of God blessing his kids. But earthly power can never stop the plans and the purposes of God. The Herod story tells us that the kings of this world cannot stop God's plans. The wealth of this world cannot stop God's plans. Military might and political power might look powerful in the natural and in the moment, but they cannot stop the plans and purposes of God. Read this crazy quote today to to put this in perspective with the whole story of the gospel. And it's up here on the screens. It says this, uh, biblical historian Kenneth Bailey said this about the events of Herod. A mindless, bloody atrocity took place at the birth of Jesus. After reading the story, the reader is not caught unawares by human potential for terror that shows its ugly face again at the cross. At the beginning of the gospel and at the conclusion, Matthew presents pictures of the depth of evil that Jesus came to redeem. If the gospel can flourish in a world that produces the slaughter of innocence and the cross, the gospel can flourish anywhere. And as the keys come and I just want to bring this thought to a close for you. Well, wise to always ask, well, how does this relate to the grand picture of the Christian faith? Because if you keep reading the book of Matthew, in chapter 26, a plot is hatched. Some men get together and they hatch a plot to arrest Jesus. And they're successful in arresting Jesus. They believe themselves powerful, and so they arranged for a mock trial by a Roman governor who sentenced Jesus to death by crucifixion. It was a moment unlike any other in history, where it looked on the surface like God had been defeated. His plans had been thwarted. His glory looked compromised. But if you're reading If you're reading the Gospel of Matthew, you've already read in Matthew chapter 2 that there is nothing that can stop the plans and purposes of God. Absolutely nothing. So so you're kind of gearing up for, oh, I really wonder what's going to happen here. I I wonder what's going to happen because I saw the same God in Matthew 2 and it, it looks like God has gone to sleep and He's let His Holy One be nailed to a cross and it looks, it looks like His glory has been compromised. But you know, you know because you're the reader that God will often allow Himself to enter in or to be drawn into situations where He can demonstrate His own power. We know 
as readers that the evil of the cross will meet the same end as the evil of Herod's actions. We know that earthly power, no matter how strong it looks, can never stop the plans and the purposes of God. And if you get to that point, you're reading through the Gospel of Matthew, I want to take you just a little bit further in your thinking. Because it's not only that there is no power that that God can't defeat. But actually, to take it even further, that the situations in life that you and I face that are the most horrific, the most disturbing, the most dysfunctional are the very situations Christ actually came to redeem. That that the world in all of its dysfunction and all of its evil was redeemed by the love of a father. So when you see evil in your own actions, when you see dysfunction, disturbing tendencies in yourself, you can have hope in your own family even. You can have hope because the very situations that are the most dysfunctional and disturbing are the very situations Christ came to redeem. So this is why at Christmas we say it is a time of hope. We say it's a time of peace. Peace because we know God is in control. It's a time of joy. It's a time of joy because we know that His plans are fulfilled and they are 100% for our good. So as we close this morning here at Elam, we like to always give an opportunity for people to come to know God for themselves, either for the first time or if you just feel that God's calling you back into a relationship with Him. And so if that's you, I want to give you one final thought about the life of Herod. The life of Herod demonstrates where selfishness and self-centered living eventually leads us to. You might say, Pete, that's a bit harsh. I'm not an evil dictator. I don't intend to become one. But I... I don't know about you, but I see in my life the same tendencies in seed form that Herod had pressed into and where they took him. And so I think to myself, you know what? Those same seeds, they're they're at a different stage, perhaps. But it's the same seed. It's It's the same root cause in my life. I want to suggest in your life too that there is a a drift inside everybody to prioritize ourselves and to think that the world revolves around us. We like to think of ourselves at the top and trying trying to reach the top. If we think like that, then other people become a means in order to get to the top. The gospel shows us that the, the pattern of Herod leads us to a very dark place indeed. Left to ourselves, families break down, abuse happens, people get hurt, and those same people who get hurt go on to hurt other people. So the message of Jesus is that we cannot win on our own. If you could take yourself from that dark place into a place of glory in God, you would have already. We cannot win on our own, and with Christ as the center of our life, He changes our hearts and He leads and guides us into the way that God always planned for us. So with every head bowed and eye closed in this moment, 
And as the team come, we're going to finish with a song in a minute. But uh, right now in this moment, I want to tell you that God loves you and He created you. He created you to live in a relationship with Him as your heavenly Father. We've all inherited a broken, selfish humanity that drifts towards self-reliance and it drifts away from God. The Bible calls this drift sin, propensity for brokenness. God and His love as a Father would not leave us in that place, but sent His Son, Jesus, from the throne of heaven to the manger of earth, to all who would accept Him as their Lord and Saviour. So we're going to pray out loud as a congregation here. I want to invite you just to pray out loud with everybody else. Maybe this is a first time for you. Maybe you're even at home and you're just watching this service. Or maybe you just sense that it's time to come back to the Lord. You just pray this prayer out loud with everybody else around you. Let's pray together. God, I surrender my life to you. I know I've sinned, but I believe, Jesus, you died for me. I turn from my old life, and I turn to you. Come in and be the Lord of my life, and make me brand new today. I choose from this day forward to live for you. With every head bowed and eye. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10 a.m.